2: hi friends welcome to the common good my name is Ian Simpkins normally joined by Brian Fromm who was supposed to be here today he's been in Florida all week something happened though I don't know if it was if he was stopped in travel or if the plane was grounded or we're not we're not sure I haven't heard from him in uh, in days now at this point so uh, if you see Brian fromm anywhere um, please let him know that we're we're thinking about him we're praying for him and uh, we hope he returns soon I'm literally right next to you oh Oh, there you are. Oh, I'm Hi. literally sitting next to you. <laughs> oh, how silly of me. Brian, well, welcome back. That's good. April
3: Fool's, right? my ah, God! Hey, I see what you did there. I see what you did. As you were saying, I was like, maybe I can walk out of the station. I was going to say, back. you were packing up I your stuff. Away, like, All right, right I'm done now, with this. I could do it, man. It's good to be home. It's good to be back home. Yeah. You look like uh, look like you got some sun. A no? little bit, little bit. You know, as I get older, I am like Mr. Sunscreen now. Like, of course so you are. It's like <laughs> lather. It's like... Wearing shirts all the time on the beach and laughing. I mean, we lather, thank lather. you for that.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> Including right now. Yeah. Including right now. Yeah. April Fool's, he's not wearing a shirt. <laughs>
3: this, we're going to do this the whole show. Yeah, I, was, I can't stop. I can't stop. <laughs> we it's... have a text line, April Fools. <laughs> Oh, no, but it was awesome, man, to be away for, you know, you and I, we, we run pretty hard. You know, we're <laughs> pastors that have a radio show and all this stuff. And I was just really looking forward to this trip. And we went down. And spent a week, and I didn't see a raindrop, a cloud all week. it was 80 degrees, like it was, but the most of all, just to play with my kids and my wife, and oh, yeah, my totally. parents were with us too, and um, you know, just to be in the sun and have fun, it was really awesome. you know you come back and you're like, "I really like my family,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I, you know sometimes when you're in the midst of like day in and day out stuff, right. that sounds so like base level realization. But that I think is that's the part of vacations that sometimes gets missed. Like it's not yeah. just about oh we're in a new location. It's like appreciating oh these are the people that I get to do life with. All the, and I'm sure it wasn't a perfect trip. I'm sure no. there were you know like any family trip. Oh no, there's always something. <laughs> but I'm glad you have like a legitimate uh, like joy to you that like Thank you. Oh, it was like a good. I mean, rain wouldn't have ruined it, but the no. fact that it didn't rain is just icing, right? That, I mean, that's that,
3: that joy is going to last about an hour or two,
2: right? You know. <laughs> no, I've, I drain you so quickly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I came back feeling really rested, and like you said, there is something about being in the sun, but y- you know, it is funny because you just love to be with your family to the point that, like, even when my kids were younger, like, we would go every now and then and get a hotel in Lombard and just for a night by just a pool, for the sake of yeah, being just somewhere to else, be that's out awesome. Of the house, and, uh, and so it was awesome. I did, though, experience uh, what I would call, you know, one of Dante's levels of hell. <laughs> Go on. <my> on. <laughs> trip. So that's what we call a tease, right? Yeah, right. So a little backstory, story. Uh, like I said, we traveled with my parents, and so rather than driving the entire way, Uh, Because we were leaving a little bit south in Florida, so it would have been like a twenty-hour drive or something. Okay. Uh, My dad suggested that we fly from here to Atlanta because the prices were crazy to fly into Florida at this, you know, spring break time of year. Right, right, right. So fly uh, into Atlanta, rent two cars, and drive the rest of the way. So that's how we did it. And the way down, it went great. Flew, did the whole thing. The way back, oh boy. So we decided our flight was until eight p.m. Okay. But we decided our our rental cars need to be back at like 3.30 or else you get charged 15 bucks. Right, right. So we're like, okay, we're going to, we drove a little bit north, stayed in a hotel, and it was going to be like, I was supposed to be like a four and a half hour drive from where we were to the Atlanta airport. Got it. But we're like, all right, we'll get there really early and then get the rental car back. So we left at like 9.30. So I'm not a math major, but that gets you there at like two. (laughs) That gets you there at like two. Sure. There was so much traffic around Atlanta that I thought we were going to miss our flight. We wow. ended up getting we ended up finally getting to the airport at 5:30. Gross. And but it was like it was something I've never experienced before. You are just like your app everything's red, everyone's turning off cuz you've all got the same app and there were literal stretches where we didn't move. And you're like and it's not because there was an accident, it's because there were so many stinking people around Atlanta and you're just like this is There was a point where my wife and I looked at each other. I'm like, this is what hell is going to be Uh, one day. It's going to be just never being able to get to your destination. Like, you could see it. It's like half hour away, and then a half hour later, it's like half hour away. Which is kind of par for the course
2: for Atlanta, I'm told. I've had friends live down there and say, yeah, this is just Atlanta. That's just what it is. It
3: was so, I mean, we are, it was just so bad. It was so bad that, like, then I don't know how you and your wife are, but me and my wife, like, the longer we're in a car and in traffic, <laughs> the more that the only person we can get mad at is each
2: other. <laughs> She's way better than I am. Traffic is a that's a that's a trigger for me. It's not good. Oh, it's not it, good. It was uh it was really bad. It this was is the like, last day too, right? So you had this great trip and you're like, This yeah. is our last It's not even the last like we're about to go
3: home. Uh, right? We're about to fly and we've people are on Facebook going, Oh, there's snow on the ground. You're like, Oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> And so,
3: yeah, I don't know. I don't know how people do it. If that's normal, I do not know how people do it. Because, Our thoughts and
2: prayers to anyone in Atlanta right now. Oh, my goodness. But, <laughs> hey, man,
3: I'm really appreciative. And, and the beauty of technology, I got on the AM 1160 app, and I listened at times to you last week. Uh, and it was really encouraging that the shows were good and a little disconcerting. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> maybe doesn't need me." So, how was it, kind of flying solo with all these different people coming through? You did Fernando Ortega while I was going yeah. that concert,
2: but then different people. How was it while I was going? It was a, it was. A, I mean, we definitely missed you for sure, man. But uh, it was, it was a ton of fun. My parents actually came in for the Fernando show, which was a blast. It was my first time emceeing one of our shows. And uh, Heartbeat International was there, yeah. and they, it was it was great just to you know connect with them personally. But my dad has loved Fernando for most of my life to the point where he's like he's he's played CDs so much that they can't they don't play anymore. Oh my goodness! That's how much Fernando was in our house growing up. But he's never been able to see him live. So uh, he and my mom came out with two other friends from home, and not only did they get to see him, but we got to meet him afterwards and just tell stories, and my, my mom told a really personal story about what one of his songs meant to her, and we, wow. like, we cried. Like, it was a really—it was kind of surreal for me. Like, I felt really cool to be able to experience that with my parents who drove yeah. in from Detroit, um, and the event was a huge success, and the church that hosted us was great, and And then the last week was just, you know, people around Chicagoland that I find really interesting uh, who were very gracious to drive in and give us a whole hour of their time, really and, cool. and uh, yeah, I, I, I did walk away from the week— realizing, man, I feel really blessed by the interesting, creative, uh, unique, intelligent people um, that God has put in my life. That's and I awesome. also realized, man, I, everyone in my life is smarter than me. Like, <laughs> just... so much wisdom in the course of a week, and I was really, really grateful. So. One of
3: the segments I was listening to you did was, I forget her name, but uh, I believe it was a psychologist.
2: Yeah, Rachel Shannon. And, and yeah. she
3: was talking, and I was like, wow, it's like I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> She does that man. I was like I don't think people listen to our show on a regular basis to learn. <laughs> I learned something from
2: literally every interview too. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Well,
3: that's awesome, and I and I'm grateful I'm grateful that you uh held the fort down that allowed me to get out of here and our pleasure, man. do that. So, our pleasure. but it is good to be back again you're listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's uh The Common Good Radio Show or online at 1160. Hope.com. Well, coming up next, we have an interview of someone we're really excited about. I'm going to get her name wrong. You're going to help me here.
2: No, you got it. I believe in you. Lena uh,
3: Abu-Jamra. Nailed it. Did I really? Yes, sir. Well oh, done. Oh, she's the founder of Living With Power Ministries. She's been on the show before, uh, is a fascinating person. We're going to spend some time with Alina. Uh, that's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope For Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also text us at 68683, then type in CG, followed by your comment, your question, like we said, your April Fool's joke, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is you want to <laughs> we'll do. We'll take any of it. Uh, Ian, we're excited to be joined on the phone right now by Lena abu So, Lena, thank you for joining us.
5: It's so great to be with you guys.
3: Great. Let me give you a little bit of bio on Lena. She is the founder of Living with Power Ministries. She is also a pediatric emergency room doctor by profession and is passionate about empowering people with biblical truth. A Bible teacher, blogger, and conference speaker, she's the author of three books and she reaches listeners through weekly podcasts and a daily morning minutes devotional and is engaged in providing medical care for Syrian refugees. In the Middle East. I don't feel like I do anything with my life after no. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: have the exact same feeling. Exactly.
5: I know, I'm worn out listening to that.
3: <laughs> You're like, I need a little bit of a break here. Absolutely. Right. Uh, well, Lena, let's. Laura Rage. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Uh, Let's start at the end there with the Syrian refugees in the Middle East, because you were telling us off air uh, that you just returned from a medical trip to Lebanon working with Syrian refugees, and I'm fascinated by that. Would love to hear, uh, A, why do you do that, and B, what did you do while you were over there?
5: Yeah, you know, we started doing work with Syrian refugees about four or five years ago, right at the beginning of the crisis. And, you know, it was a time when everybody was talking about this greatest humanitarian crisis of all times. I always joke that I'm not the brightest bulb of the talk, but I was like, you know, I'm Lebanese. I speak fluent Arabic, I'm a doctor, and so if anybody could jump into a disaster zone and do work that, you know, makes a difference, right. I was like the poster child for that. And so, and it was a season in my life when I was transitioning out of uh, a church setting that had taken up a lot of my time, and I sort of found myself in limbo. And I think in limbo is a great place to be as a Christian, because mm. it's really a place where God can step in and direct you to what He has next for you. I don't think I ever would have looked at what's happening with the Syrian refugees if I was still stuck in this mode of ministry that I was in, sort of an American mode. Mind Instead of ministry that sort of turns professional and to a certain extent, and you you stop thinking. Well, God, what else can I do? And and because I was in limbo, I started praying that God, what do you have for me to do? And and I started adding one plus one equals two. And took some trip <laughs> to the Middle East. And next thing I knew, I was thrown into uh, this um, the medical mission world of Syrian refugees. And we partnered with a church on the ground. And basically, I I connected with a dentist friend of mine and his wife. They have the same heart as I did, and we started going back. And they. Had this amazing foresight to uh, commit to a regular pattern of going back. So we promised this place we'd go every three or four months. So if, if this was our ninth mission trip wow. down wow. Uh, to Lebanon. Yeah, which was pretty cool. It, we 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 have a great system now. So it was our highest number of patients seen and smoothest clinic. But I really was beat by the time I got home. It was a lot of fun though.
2: Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so Lena, pr- I just personally, I I follow you and all the stuff that you do, and I love your podcast. I love You'll post, like, sermon clips. You really do a ton of things, and a lot of times when people do a ton of things, they suffer in quality, not with you. Like, you seem to have this capacity to do a ton of things really, really well, and you have this new uh, online merch store called She Gives Hope uh, to help support refugees. Can you talk a little bit about that effort specifically?
5: Yeah. You know, our vision at Living With Power is to bring hope to the world. That really encompasses everything I do, and, and when I think about what that means, you know, hope is such a, such a loose word that we can use you know, I hope you do well, it's just yeah. such a natural mm. work, and, and yet it is everything for the Christian. I really equate hope to Jesus, and so I um, have found that everything I do sort of is under this big umbrella of hope, and specifically, we've offered it by bringing biblical truth and making it very practical in everyday life, and I don't believe a Christian can really live that out without, in some capacity, reaching to the marginalized, the underserved, the needy, the sick, uh, and so I think in many ways, here in the United States, you can do it by, you know, going to an elderly person's home and ministering to them, Maybe to the homeless shelter, wherever, but there has to be a natural outflow of what God is working in us. And for me, it's, it's kind of God has really pointed my background and my gifts to the Syrian refugees. But of course, the more you do, the more it costs. So in my ministry, mm. it finally has started to make sense in that before we started doing the refugee work, I did a lot of Bible teaching, did a lot of conference speaking, and, and, and in a, to a certain extent, what was the point of that? And so mm. you disciple people, you grow them, but in terms of even you go to a conference, they pay you a check, and then what? And so you do more resources, and you get stuck in the cycle of sort of a ministry that is focused on self, really, to, to, to by and large, especially when you're a parachurch model. And so the gift that God gave me in stepping out into the refugee world has been that— now, there's a driving force to doing what we do, which is, mm. listen, man, you, we need support, we need help, because there's a huge number, and, and why do I love the Syrian refugees? Because there's a revival happening. Mm. So brothers and sisters of Muslim background are running to Jesus, and they literally have nothing but the clothes on their back. And so we've been really able to kind of combine love for teaching the Word with really being able to now outpour what we, what we get here in the United States, the, the, pro, the fruit, I guess, the, the, the material fruit of the ministry is now siphoned directly into what we're doing in the Middle East, and we don't just do the medical mission stuff now. We've actually expanded a year and a half ago to doing. Um, we support families who are persecuted for their faith in lebanon and uh, we've got 20 families we're supporting we've got 10 kids we're sending to schools and colleges we just launched a nurse nurse's training program uh 25 syrian refugee women are being trained by one of our nurses on the ground and um and we've got a food outreach program so we're doing a lot and the store was a very very practical way to just get attention uh, to what we're doing and to create a source of revenue to be able to fund some of the work we're doing so every shirt every Up every book that somebody buys on that store all the proceeds go towards what we're doing there and trust me the need is just growing by the minute but it is so exciting this last trip i just had such a chance to sit and talk with many of the families we support and see the growth the fruit in their lives as the discipleship and the work that god is doing in their life i don't know man this is what the christian walk is about and i think if if you get a glimpse of that it just revs you up and energizes you so that you just want to do more
2: Lena, it's too bad that you're not, like, amped up about the work you do.
5: <laughs> right? <laughs> I love your energy. I, I know. <laughs> it's so That's true. Awesome.
3: So in all of that, uh, yeah, like as Ian said, it's just energizing to listen to you. I did sense, you know, some frustration with the American Christianity of the American church. Uh, this might mm. be unfair to give you, you know, not that long to talk about it, but— um, What do you—am I right about that? Am I picking that up? And what do you hope for the church going forward uh, in America?
5: I think the priority of the church in America becomes glaringly um, hurting when you compare it to what's happening around the world, not just in the Middle East, but all over the world. I had a chance to be in China uh, this last year, even in Germany, ministering just a couple of weeks ago to high schoolers there. I think that, that the American church mindset has taken on in the last couple of decades this, of course, you know, I'm very, you know, tied into what's happening in Chicago in the Mm -hmm. church world. And so just, and that is sort of on steroid what is really seen in many church situations in the United States, which is this elevation of man, the centrality of materialism. Um, Yeah, a lot of times there is a preaching of the word, but but the fruit of it just sort of falls short of what I believe Jesus' heart was. And so, yeah, there is absolutely a frustration in my heart about it. And yet, I am heavily burdened to the people of the United States. And I feel like my primary mission field is indeed here in the United States. Mm. So, my passion in coming back here is to just get a chance to kind of get, you know, I, I think if I have any intensity in, in speaking and proclaiming God's word, is to, to kind of point people back to what Jesus, who Jesus was, and the way that he works. And my heart is to really go back myself, even in my life, I see the encroachment of materialism and the desire for comfort here in the United States so quickly take over. This has been my hardest reentry going to the Middle East and coming Mm. back. Don't know why, but the past couple of days I've just been sort of in culture shock, kind of coming back here and sort of trying to grasp this reality of what we believe vis a vis the way that we live here in the United States. And I'm often addicted of, of just the ways that in my life I've seen it's um, just a uh, just great area that we excuse ourselves. And and meanwhile, yeah. our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering, truly suffering in ways that we wouldn't even imagine. Right. And anything that we can do to understand that and, and lean towards that, I think, is a gift because that's where real growth is happening right now.
3: Well, nine minutes is just not long enough. I think <laughs> sometime when you're between your multiple, multiple jobs, we need to get you in here for like a full hour just to... I would love it, man. I would love it. I
5: don't think we'd run out of things to say. I don't (laughs) think so either. (laughs) I don't
3: think so. Uh, Well, again, you can uh, follow Lena on Twitter at uh, Lena May. that's L-I-N-A-M-A-Y, or on her website at livingwithpower.org. That's livingwithpower.org. Is that where people could buy the stuff, the online merchandise that we were talking about earlier?
5: They they can get linked up to there, but the easiest way to access our store is shegiveshope.com
3: perfect perfect well we would encourage our listeners to go out there yes uh, buy the stuff it is probably not only cool stuff to have but it's also going to go to a great cause well you've been listening to Lena Abu Jamra the founder of Living with Power Ministries Lena thank you so much for joining us today
5: it's been so fun thanks for having me yep
2: and really you're listening appreciate you. yeah you're listening
3: to the common good on AM 1160 hope for your life Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also text us any of your comments, your questions, or any ideas. You can do so at 68683 and then type CG in your comment, followed by whatever it is that you want to share with us. Well, we're really excited to be joined on the phone right now uh, by Jeff Kemp. Jeff, thank you for joining us today.
6: It's my pleasure, Brian. Thanks, Ian.
3: Absolutely. Uh, By way of bio, Jeff is a champion for strengthening relationships. He calls men particularly to their identity in Christ and to champion benevolent manhood, marriage, and fathering. Also, he played in the NFL for 11 years as Jeff quarterbacked for the Rams, the 49ers, the Seahawks, and the Eagles. You can find information about him at jeffkempteam.com. That's jeffkempteam.com. Or if you're interested in a new book that he put out, you can go to Facing the Blitz. Dot com. Jeff, I'd love to start uh, with that part of your bio that says that you particularly focus on championing benevolent manhood, marriage, and fathering. Uh, could you talk to us about where that passion comes from? Uh, why are you giving your life to trying to help men grow in Christ and know their identity in Christ?
6: Um, I've spent my life in, in locker rooms and huddles and on fields and had a lot of close friends, uh, seen guys who've grown up in the inner city and the suburbs and all over the place. Uh, Ones who've had two parents and a dad around and other ones who didn't. Um, And then I got a cool platform that football gave me as well. Mm. Um, And and in those journeys, I kind of developed a lot of friendship for men, a lot of bonding with men, a lot of experience with men, and then an awareness that a lot of kids don't have a good man in their life. They don't have a dad that's really living up to all that a dad's supposed to do. Um, and the life of a little girl or a little boy or a, a teenager. Um, and really, frankly, this country has kind of diminished fatherhood and, and confused manhood, um, and we have a crisis of identity amongst so many men. I mean, there's the excessive macho-ness and, and, and kind of consumptive style of manhood, do what you want, sleep with who you want, drink what you want, party, uh, live for the moment, play video games, consume porn, Um There's the make money and be the biggest success you can be. And, uh, it's all about me, man. And then there's the touchy feely, soft men get, get behind. When you've been mean to women for so long, you need to stop and not lead. And, uh, there's so much confusion. Guys don't know who to be. And Hmm. the answer comes, the answer comes from a, a perfect heavenly father that's available to all of us and from Jesus who actually gives us our identity and, we don't have to live in shame. We don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't have to earn our identity. Um, and I learned a lot of that in football because everyone's trying to earn their identity in pro football. And then you, you, and you leave leave, or you get injured or you get traded. You, you all of a sudden no longer become who you are because you're not on a team. So that's why I think because people struggle with identity and men in particular need to be um, helped to find out who they are so they can be what they were meant to be in their marriage and to
2: their kids who depend so much on them. Okay, so you mentioned what you've brought from the NFL into both your writing and your teaching and your coaching. I'm curious, what what else do you feel like, having spent more than a decade in the NFL, uh, has equipped you to do what you're doing now? Because, I mean, if you saw Brian and I, it would be obvious neither of us played in the NFL. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm really I'm fascinated by that idea of how you've taken things and lessons you've learned in that context to a very different context. Can you talk about some of the other things that have translated well Uh, into a a men's-focused ministry?
6: Uh, First of all, uh, teamwork. Quarterbacks can't get anything done by themselves, man. You need a line. Mm. You need people to catch the ball. You need a running game. Um, And in my case, I was talented and strong, but I wasn't the world's best quarterback. I was third string uh, my sophomore year, my junior year of high school. I was third string my freshman and um, sophomore years of college, um, I spent a lot of years on the bench in the NFL before I ever got on the field as a starter in, in my fourth year. So um, I needed great coaching. I needed great mm-hmm. coaching to be a good quarterback. And when I didn't have great coaching, I wasn't that good. So I've always known that I needed teammates and I needed great coaching. And I don't think enough people realize how much you need close friends. You need good friends. You need a team. Yeah. Um, and, that, and to do that, you got to be vulnerable, right? you got to say, I'm not perfect. They say everyone's good at something. I think I think everyone stinks at something too, and you need to know what you stink at and, and ask for help. And then, um, great coaching. Men need mentors, mm. you know, and that's something I learned from sports. Um, and then I learned some things about what great coaching is, and I love to do that with men. I like I like to call men into the, their best identity and not define them by their worst. Yeah. Um, I got that from Bill Walsh. He called me in his office one time. And uh, didn't bring my quarterback coach. I was kind of afraid. <laughs> um, he, he was the he was the coach of the 49ers. Yeah. I was filling in for Joe Montana, and uh, he popped. He had these two tapes. One was uh, Jeff Kemp good, and one was Jeff Kemp bad. And he he popped in the good one and showed me all the great plays I I'd made so far and, and praised my footwork, and my timing, and, and my steps. And and then he said, uh, Joe doesn't do any better than this. Oh my gosh, how did I feel about that? But then he put in the Jeff Kemp bad tape, which was longer. <laughs> and I, I was very ready to receive the the coaching on what to improve because he set me free from fearing failure and made me want to excel, and he defined me by my best and my, by my, my t- potential. So that's what men need. Yeah, They need to be called up. They need to be named. They need to be respected even before they're behaving respectably, and we will respond to how uh, someone believes in us.
3: Yeah, I thought earlier you did a really good job of talking about the different issues facing manhood within our culture. Uh, I wonder, do you feel this—is it the same uphill battle in the church, or do you feel like there's a different message being given in the church? I wonder how you see the difference between culture and church with how men uh, are being taught right now.
6: Um, it's it's not exactly the same in the culture, but the fact that there's a still a, a crisis of sorts and an anemia of real man. Um, ministry in the church, that's a problem. So a lot of the sanctuaries are decorated and the churches are decorated and the programs are run by women. A lot of the focus is, is for women. There's not a whole lot of masculinity. We don't really have a lot of things that address business and work and what a guy's focused on in his, you know, um, eight to five day. So uh, there's some great programs that are coming out in some churches and, 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 and from some parachurch men's ministries, but I think the gist of it is um, pastors need to be real and straightforward about their manhood and their faults and their flaws. And they need to call up men uh, and and say, you know what, you're not defined by your failings Hmm. Um, and you shouldn't hide in shame. Shame comes from the enemy, uh, but guilt comes from God to send us to repentance and forgiveness and, and get going. So go tell other men what you're struggling with, tell them your problems. And if the pastor sets that example, The other guys will do it. And I also think there's a bunch of entrepreneurial ministry people in churches that are in business, but they haven't found a place for their energies to show up in the church. And we got to recruit the whole team and Mm. not just leave it up to the paid staff. That's a a broken model of ministry, especially in, in this age. People who don't know Jesus aren't going to say, oh, I'm going to come to your church and try to find your religious answer. Yeah you need to go to them and meet them in the restaurant you need to go mountain biking with them meet them at their uh, their house or invite them to your house for dinner and out there in the marketplace is where we will help people find christ and that's where manhood is really uh discipled and trained and attract people to friendship and then eventually to christ
3: oh that's good stuff with the last minute we have uh, you know i wanted to ask you being someone who's been in the NFL for eleven years, do you still after you retired? Do you still like the NFL? Do you still watch games, or is it like, man, I did that for that season of my life, and I, I you know, don't really consume it
6: much anymore? Yeah, no, I do. I like it a lot. The first couple of years, I didn't um, pay attention much. Some players are kind of mad that the league kicked them out, and it's over for them. Um, and I didn't watch a whole lot of football for the first couple of years, but I watch a lot now. Um, football is an amazing sport. I, I say it's the greatest sport in the world. The guys in the NFL. Are phenomenal. The teams, the coaching, Mm. um, I love it. The twists and turns, you know. The games are always down to the wire. It seems, other than the Super Bowl this year, yeah. that. But my son works for the Seahawks. We pay attention to them still, and uh, I love I love underdogs. I'm always rooting for uh, the people that are coming from behind. So I wasn't happy by the Patriots winning the Super Bowl.
3: Absolutely. Well, Jeff, this has been a real pleasure for us again. Uh, you can find information about Jeff Kemp at JeffKempTeam.com. Also, if you're interested in his book, you can go to FacingTheBlitz.com. That's FacingTheBlitz.com. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate
2: it, man.
6: Hey, guys. You know what? Bad things turn to good, which is what Good Friday showed us. Bad bad things on Friday turned into great things on Sunday. That's what the Blitz is. Um, and I'm I'm happy to talk to you guys. I say there's hope for every man to turn his life around if he turned to Christ.
3: Thank you so much. That's a good word. Again, this has been Jeff Kemp joining us on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can also text us. Text us your comments at 68683. That's 68683. And then in the message section, type in CG followed by your comment or whatever else you want to tell us. Hopefully, it's nice stuff. <laughs> No, just be honest. It doesn't have to be nice. Be honest. You can also find our podcast at 1160hope.com or wherever it is that you podcast. I, I used those apps while I was in Florida last week, man. <laughs> I'm really proud of I you. I did now. I can actually say that they work. Did one, did one of your kids
2: coach you through using them? Is that how that worked?
3: <laughs> I'm not that old. What just is a yet? podcast? Just I'm not that old. So it is, uh, it, those of you who don't know, I was away all last week, back, excited to be back in the chair, excited to be here. Prefer vacation, but who wouldn't? But... <laughs> Uh, it is it is fun to be back.
2: Anyone listening, I'd rather be here than vacation. I just you, want you to know that yeah.
3: You're sleep deprived. I, I, <laughs> That's true.
1: You're
2: you so many years from a vacation. You can't trust what I'm saying right now. Anyway,
3: even if you go on a trip, it's not going to be a vacation to your kid. Like another five or six <laughs> years. <laughs>
2: Thanks, man.
3: Hey, there was uh, there was an article that you you sent me a blog post that just asks this: Jesus and parties. This guy says I regularly eat, drink, and party with people outside of my household, and it raises a great question. And I want to throw it your way this way. I want to throw this question at you. Can food, drinks, and socializing really advance the gospel in significant ways? What do you think?
2: Yes. Next question.
3: <laughs> Please expand on oh, the previous sure. question. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I absolutely, I
2: absolutely think so. Uh, one of the things that we talk about at Community is the uh, the BLESS practices, which is an acronym. We love acronyms in the church, right? Yeah. And uh, in case you've not heard them, I think it's really helpful. So B stands for begin with prayer. L stands for Listen. E is for eat as uh, as a part of our like evangelistic model we encourage people actually eat like share meals with people yep. and then the first s is serve and then the last s is story that's it's not until you've done the first four that you then share your story mm. and and you know kind of tucked in the middle of that is spend time with people share meals with people some people go even further and say have parties, host parties. We used to do this, you know, quite frequently when I lived in a parsonage, and before that, when I lived in Elgin, we'd have bands, we'd bring DJs in, we'd do wow. like house parties, and it was uh, again a different age, a different era, I guess. You know, I wasn't married, didn't have kids, you know, that we'd be waking up, but it was, it was pretty interesting. And the article kind of touches on a couple of these things because, um, on one hand, there were people that would tell us, "I have no interest." and like actually attending a church, but I'm really curious about spiritual things that would come to these parties. Yeah. On the other hand, I certainly caught some flack, you know, for how dare you host a party yep. in your house. I thought you were a pastor. I thought you were a Christian, you know. This... Was the flack
3: about... Uh... The very fact of a party, or was it there was alcohol served, or was it all of that th- you're having people from outside the church in your home, or was it just kind of all of that? Yeah,
2: it, it depends. It depended on who had an issue. Some, you know, for some people outright, like they just didn't think it was right for Christians to dance. And so the fact that we had a DJ, some of it was the food or alcohol thing. Some of it was. It had to do with just how late it ran, you know. Oh. I mean, it, there was there was certainly some validity to some of people's concerns. The police getting regularly right, called. Right, right, <laughs> Which actually was never, never, ever an issue. Totally we went through did. all the right avenues. But we were able to engage with an audience and a demographic of people Absolutely. that either had been burned by church or had expressed interest in these conversations but just didn't – weren't really interested in, in the kind of establishment that you and I are familiar yep. with. And I think it's easy for us to miss – I think sometimes Jesus's earthly ministry is depicted as like oh he he poked his head in real quickly once one time with a bunch of sinners. <laughs> like no it seems that like he was spending so much time with the quote unquote sinners yep, yep. that the religious elite were like that guy's a drunk and a glutton. Yep. You don't get called that and a by, friend of sinners. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. You don't get called that kind of you don't you're not given that kind of title if you just like poke a head in once in a while. Like he was clearly spending the type of time in the type of environments that made religious elite really yep. uncomfortable. And sometimes I wonder if we're willing to, to do that ourselves.
3: Yeah, I wonder, I'm just going to keep pepping you with questions, because Jesus, we want to live like Jesus, right? We all grew up with the bracelets, what would Jesus do, right? <laughs> well, what, Did we? Well, when I was in youth group, when it was what would Jesus do, they never then told you he would go to parties. Yeah, right. Or he would. Totally. So Jesus, like we just said, uh, in Luke chapter 7, is called a glutton, uh, that he was known as a glutton drunkard and a friend of sinners. Hmm. And so if we are going to take seriously our call to follow Jesus, then in some way people should be levying the same attacks on us that, you know, maybe not the glutton and the drunkard, but at least the friend of sinners. Um, How do you balance uh, as a, not just as a pastor, but as somebody who wants to, you know, see people come to know the Lord, how would you, how do you balance the wanting to be a quote unquote friend of sinners without Becoming a sinner, how do you deal? And I know we're all sinners, but in the yeah. way that he was being accused as being a friend of people in disrepute, and therefore he's in disrepute.
2: I, I think you have to keep a diversity of accountability because mm-hmm. if all I, if the only voices I had, kind of in my circle, in my corner, were like, yeah, yeah, keep you're doing the right thing, you're making a difference. If all, I, if all we had were yes men, then I, I think that there we w- would have been in danger, maybe of crossing some lines. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, I was a lead pastor playing in cover bands. Like we were playing bars on Saturday nights, wow. and then I was preaching Sunday morning, but I always made sure that our elders knew, that they had full accountability and transparency, that they had every freedom to lean in and say, hey, um, these are some things that we're concerned about, or just in terms of optics, like, those were things we had to navigate through, it wasn't just, uh, I'm this punk rock pastor, I'm going to do whatever I want and deal yeah, with it, like, yeah. we, I, I could have done that. I just wasn't interested in that. So I think, yeah, I had to have a diversity of accountability, people, you know, progressive and traditional, right and left, whatever that would call me on my stuff. Because you're right, on one end, this Jesus went to parties thing can feel to a particular wiring or mindset like really attractive. Yep. But sometimes, you know, we were talking about this last week with my buddy Jeff, you know, the difference between legalism and license is they they're both – uh, extremes of the pendulum. Yeah. So legalism is the thing that we kind of shake our finger at the Pharisees, but sometimes we jump so much to license exactly. that we then just do whatever we want, however we want. And we're like, ah, it's in the name of Jesus. You know, like maybe, maybe a Bible study at the strip club isn't the right move. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like you, <laughs> yeah. that, you may have jumped the shark on that one. And, and having accountability, I think was just so, it was so key for me.
3: Let me write that down. Cause I, I that was, <laughs> that was on my vision, the five-year vision for the was, church. So.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, so, A, I want to know what what your bands were covering, but that's probably a difference, you know, <laughs> what kind of music. I, I I do want to hear that someday. Um, do you think that we need to get to the point of helping our people literally schedule time with non-believers? Yes. Like to say, hey, not only he asked a question in this article, what might this look like as a sustainable rhythm of life? We talk to people about, you know, Bible reading time, time for your devotionals, time for this. What is do, do we need to be at the point where we're telling, "Hey, we're in the suburbs; we isolate ourselves"? Totally. I want you to open up your calendars and show me where you're spending time—not just with people, but with people who are far from Jesus and who need that kind of um, relationship in their lives.
2: Yeah, maybe not the open up your calendar and show me, because I wouldn't sure. do that with their pocketbooks either, necessarily. Good but I, I think we—it is—it requires a level of intentionality. It's kind of what we say with the blessed practices: you're going to eat anyway. Yep. Why not? Why not see it? missionally what your your body needs food schedule one meal a day to have with somebody who's far from god or have someone who could use a conversation like one of the things that we'd encourage people to do we all you know a lot of people have bonfires they have like these uh those little pits now you can buy at home depot what if instead of the backyard very short right we have one now (laughs) we're like well what what if instead of putting in your backyard you put it in your driveway like as people are coming home you know in in the u.s in particular like we used to actually spend time on the front stoop. That's yep. where people came home together and they'd shared meals and stories. And then we moved to the back. And I think uh, it's time to head to the front again to That's engage good. with this uh, this community that God's That's gifted good. us with. I know at our
3: church we talk about being everyday missionaries, and you can't do that without actually knowing the people around it's you. It's
2: got to start by knowing them, absolutely.
3: Well, alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This, this is the this is the common good on AM 1160 Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. We're having a conversation. We're having a conversation. <laughs> it's true. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Then type in CG and then your comment. I, my name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. Happy uh, first day of uh, April. <laughs> I think that's a holiday, right? That's the thing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time in history. April Fools has been introduced as Happy day for birthday, Day right <laughs> yeah, they do. It's Hallmarks really getting on of the action they are they are.
3: It is April Fool's Day. Uh, my first day back after vacation, uh starting the second hour of a very nice sunny vacation in Florida, uh but now back to sun and cold. It is sun out today. It's nice ish. I did read 60, uh, 60 degrees coming up uh, later this week. Why don't week, you get so. my
2: hopes up from?
3: Well, it's coming, and then that three to five inches like two weeks right, later, I'm right. sure.
2: If it snows on Easter, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm that, out. I can't do can it. Can we write that down? Sign yep. that? <laughs> yeah. Happily. Were you going back to Michigan? Yeah, that's a good point. Touche.
3: <laughs> anyway, we're excited to be together. One of the goals of this show is that we like to take things that are in the media and just kind of process them. You and I are both pastors. I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. You're at Community Christian Church in Naperville. Uh, and so we try to take it through a pastoral lens and say, you know, how do we process this as followers of Jesus? How should we think about that? And with that in mind, let's talk about Chick-fil-A.
2: Sure. Why not?
3: I spent uh, the last week down south, including some time in Atlanta and in Florida. And, man, did I eat a lot of Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and the lines were always out the door. They were crazy. Um So people love Chick-fil-A now, even up here, people love Chick-fil-A. But if you saw this last week, Chick-fil-A was banned uh, at a Texas airport, I believe in San Antonio. And now it's also been blocked from placing its restaurant at the Buffalo Niagara International Airport. And for both of these, the reason it was banned was not because the food's no good, uh, not because of health standards, but because of... um, the president of the company's anti-LGBTQ stances that he's taken in the past specifically around um, what constitutes a marriage, right? One man, one woman uh, in a marriage, what you'd call the traditional view of marriage. Now, uh, Chick-fil-A has come out and they've said, no, we are a completely inclusive company that we have people of all races, of all ethnicities, uh, gay people, straight people, all working within our company. And they're kind of saying we're being painted with, uh, an inaccurate brush here uh, but when i read the story i was like man that something about this makes me uncomfortable uh, that government entities are stopping a restaurant because of something that their president believes or whatever else and so i'm curious it struck me as a bit odd i'm curious your n- initial reaction to this
2: you know even as you were talking just now i realized um that like I don't know what the president of McDonald's voted. Yep. I don't like I when I think of any anybody else in this vein of the industry. I'm like I don't know. It's good point. Any of what they. Not even just religiously their convictions, yep. but how they voted. Uh, are they more progressive? Are they more traditional? I I have no clue, and yet yeah. it feels like Chick Fil A is in the news every ninety days. And uh, that's a great point. It's very very strange to me, and I get I I do understand that it's a little different, and I get why they're under fire, and I get honestly to some degree why people are upset if if they like, but even how you said it, the support of anti LGBTQ organizations or anti LGBTQ rhetoric. Um, How we use that word anti is surprising to me because it sounds like Kathy has been pretty outspoken about his his theological position. Mm -hmm. Um, It does come down to some of the you know, we've been having this debate for decades now about is is a corporation a person with rights and how does how does that pan out? Uh, But it is curious to me that because he's pro one position, that means he must be anti. Anything else. And I don't, I don't, philosophically, I don't even know that that necessarily is the case. Um, I really wish I knew more legally about what permissions or what licenses uh, cities have to ban the presence of certain organizations. Like, for example, if they do somehow legally deem this as, you know, their position, their owner's position as a hate crime, then I do think cities and airports have the right to. Uh, to ban the presence of, you know, if, if somebody was like, "Oh, we want to open up a uh, a KKK restaurant or something," <laughs> like, "Yeah, I was wondering where you are going to go." With that. The airport's like, nah, we don't want that." Yeah. And again, I'm not at all equating the two at all. Totally understand. I'm, I am just really curious. Like, if you were to flip it, like, if you know, we were mentioning before before we went live here that if the best deli in town was run by somebody with convictions you disagreed with, would you still eat at that deli? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, if it's the best sandwich, Exactly. I'm there for the sandwich. And that's
3: where I go on this one. I think you framed it well. Uh, it just seems odd to me that we're judging a what's a, essentially a chicken restaurant over what their owner believes, uh, and then we're painting a broad brush with the whole thing. Man, you really got my mind thinking, though, about, like, I don't think about what other restaurants believe.
2: Well, and I, and I don't think it's just about what... Uh, Dan Cathy believes. I think it's also about where revenue from the corporation goes. Okay. I don't think it's just about the owner made this soundbite therefore. Because like, 'cause we've even seen that some in the other direction. You know, the I forget what his name is now, the owner of Starbucks has said some stuff. Where people Schultz, like, yep, yep. I'm yep. done shopping there. Like yep. people have the right, I guess, to stop going to a place if the CEO or the president says something that they find stupid. Yep. I think the issue seems to be more less about what he's saying or believing and more about actual dollars from the company yep. going towards organizations that people are deeming anti-LGBTQ. And that's, I think, where it gets complicated.
3: And I think where the prop where this is a problematic uh, story or a development is that I think individuals can choose where they spend their own money, however they want to. Sure. Uh, you know, just because I would buy a sandwich if it was the best sandwich in town from anybody doesn't mean you have to. Like, that's what sure. it means to be free. This is a government saying, no, you can't be in our airport, right? This is a this is a government taking a stance uh, of a state or of a city, and that feels more problematic to me, and uh, that's where it gets a little problematic.
2: Well, okay, can I run it out to the ridiculous end, though? Yeah. Like, in the absurd example of a KKK restaurant, yep. KKK burgers, why not? Um, <laughs> like, would that be... You're, would you're, you be more on board, like, yeah, I know that it's government and they shouldn't be doing it, but I don't want I don't want the presence of that at the airport that my family flies out of. Would you would it be easier for you to support that decision even though it came down from the government?
3: Yes. And uh, now I I understand my hypocrisy. <laughs> I understand it wow. even as it comes out of we my We did mouth. it just in seven minutes. This is a record for us. I you know what I was thinking through my mind going, Do I try to talk my way out of this or do I just own it? <laughs>
2: No, I appreciate that, though. Yep. I appreciate the honesty there. How do we navigate then? How do I... it? And we talk all the time on this show. We all have lenses and confirmation bias. Yep. It is easy for us to cheer for the team that we already agree with on both sides. Yep. I do sometimes wonder if this is, you know, if banning Chick-fil-A's is the best use of our time. Right. But then again, like, I, this isn't quite the same, but, you know, I have a number of really dear friends who are vegetarians. And I remember... Overhearing conversations, people saying, hey, you're not eating meat is not hurting the meat industry and hearing them say it's actually not about hurting the meat industry. It's it's about not participating in a system that I deem immoral. So in the same way, uh, could could we apply that principle to say, hey, I I disagree with Chick-fil-A's philosophy and conclusion, so I'm just not going there anymore and I don't want anyone else to either, which I could see motivating someone to supporting a ban like this if, if that was their religious political conviction.
3: Yeah. I guess I just start to get uncomfortable and maybe it's just the ridiculousness of KKK burgers. <laughs>
2: but, <laughs> yeah. Not the best off the top we're of the not, dome. Like right? I would
3: not be supportive of them supporting the show. Yeah, <laughs> like, right.
2: That's good to know, Brian. I appreciate you I, saying that.
3: You're learning my standards, right? <laughs> right. I'm just uncomfortable of outside of the absurd there. I'm, a, I'm uncomfortable with government organizations saying this is what our government will back. This is what we will not because – Again, are are we digging into what Chick-fil-A is actually doing? And uh, I guess, again, the difference is, um, for me, the difference comes down to between government and personal. Hmm. Again, uh, if you want to personally... Uh, not go to a certain place, that's fine. Sure. You're an American. If you're going to miss out on the best sandwich in town, that's fine. <laughs>
2: um, best sandwich in town? It's the government. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> oh, no, I didn't mean Chick-fil-A. I meant my example earlier. But, oh, okay, uh, got it. But what's interesting is Chick-fil-A has basically taken the stance of going, we're just going to make the best sandwiches we can. We're going right. to keep going. And quite frankly, when the government does stuff like this, it causes people to like go to it. <laughs> but, that's true. Um, but yeah, you did get me a little bit there. But I, it, it does make me uncomfortable when we're going. That's a chicken sandwich place, and we are going to try to, you know, ban them from our government.
2: Well, process. and maybe the the other challenge is to think deeply about where all your money goes. Because I know plenty of people that would be yeah, eager to ban Chick Fil A, but have no problem shopping at a Walmart or sh- yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're, I'm not, I'm not throwing any organization under the bus. I haven't done the research, but I do know. That when it comes to being mindful about what we support, sometimes we do that in a vacuum. And it might be just a good practice, a good discipline to think more intently about all, all of the organizations we support, right? We, yeah. we vote with our wallets and what yeah. we spend our resources on. Uh, says something about what we care about.
3: Absolutely. Well, we are grateful to be able to have a venue to have these conversations to even try to work out what we think. <laughs> yeah. And now we have a text line. We would love to hear what you think. So you could do that at 68683. That's 68683. Then type in CG, followed by your comment. Um, what do you think about the government uh, telling Chick fil A they can't be in the airport in San Antonio or in Buffalo? We would be uh, excited to hear your feedback. Well, coming up next. We're going to have a fascinating guy by the name of Reverend Justice Carmen. He's going to be in studio with us. He is a pastor at large. And we're going to talk about what does that even mean. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can also text us at 68683. That's 68683. Then type in CG and then your comment. So one more time, that's 68683 followed by CG and then your comment or question. Well, we're excited to be joined in studio right now. Uh, by the Reverend Justice Carmen Justice, thanks for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me, gentlemen.
3: Absolutely. My pleasure. A little bit of background on Justice. He's a pastor at large, serving the communities at Brookdale and Glen Ellen and West Chicago Terrace. Uh, He received his BFA in communications from the University of Memphis and was a student of Reformed Theological Seminary before coming to Wheaton in 2000. And then I love this line, with his landlady, right? With his (laughs) landlady, he led Open (laughs) Arms Fellowship for 12 years. He was ordained in 2008 and currently serves as the Billy Gra- at the Billy Graham Center as a volunteer in the tele- in the TV telephone ministry. That's a lot right there. That's uh, a lot. Yeah. Hey, I want to start with this question. Uh, Ian and I are both pastors, but what's a pastor at large? Help us understand that.
4: A pastor at large is a hobbyist who loves <laughs> Jesus a whole lot <laughs> and lets Jesus uh, use him uh, ruthlessly at times mm-hmm. uh, to go wherever he calls him to go. Uh, my ministries are where thrown in my lap. It was just one of those things, You uh, will you do this? And I said, yes, mm. because I'm thinking Jesus wants me to do it. And uh, it's, uh, for me, a radical call to discipleship because, well, I sort of decided to let everything go and follow Jesus. Mm. And many pastors do that in various ways, of course. But in my case, it was just like, eh, I'm not married. Mm. Uh, don't have a job. Whatever you want, Lord. And then doors would show up and I'd go. Hmm. So a pastor at large is really, as far as I'm concerned, we're not with a church locally. We're not, uh, we're not being paid regularly. Uh, we don't, in my case, don't have a family or anything to support. But there are people who need ministry in hmm. jails and uh, institutions. Uh, they need to hear the gospel. Yeah. So I am like, uh, I like to compare myself. I love playing chess. You know how the knight on the chessboard just jumps around and jumps over other pieces and can't be held back? That's me. You're, that's You're, the, me. Knight. Yeah. You're the knight. Yeah. I try to be the knight for Jesus. Could you tell me that in checkers form? <laughs> yeah. uh, a, a, real, a real dark checker
2: <laughs> That's we're <been> gonna, kinged. <laughs> we're going to introduce you as the knight for the next segment. Uh, if that's I love okay. It. I love it. Okay, so one of the things that you mentioned, too, was, was playing chess. And, b- and before we went live, you were talking about uh, a cigar lounge that you work at. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and some. Right of the opportunities at a cigar lounge that are different than a formal church building. Would you just talk to us a little bit about what what has ministry in that context looked like? What are some things that have surprised you? Um, and just conversations that you're having organically in a, in a space that doesn't look like a quote-unquote traditional
4: church. Right. Well, uh, one of the things that strikes me is how God keeps using me to be as Christ-like as I can be. Now, let me, let me be very careful how I say this, because what I mean to say is You know how Jesus sat down with the woman at the well and spoke to her? And you know how our Lord talked to people that no one else would talk to? But he also said, uh, the Father's giving me what to say and how to say it. In other words, he said, I'm being directed by God. I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. So what happens in a cigar lounge and such? You know, you go in. I went in to smoke my pipe and play chess uh, with some guys. I hadn't played chess in 25 years. I just watched them playing it. And there's an interesting story. They had a little dowel and didn't even have a pawn. And I went and used my Dremel tool at home and made a pawn. And they said, hey, play some chess with us. <laughs> and I said, cool. And I like this. And we all started bonding. or we were just sitting there smoking a pipe or a cigar and playing chess. And I found out this guy's Catholic. And he's leading AA groups. Hmm. And this guy, and he said, these are good guys here. And this guy here is a uh also AA and this other person is uh actually a pastor. Uh this one's a missionary. Guys would show up to smoke cigars away from their what I'll call the church group or the religious folk, but they weren't there to be carnal so much as just to enjoy something and yeah. to sit back and talk and relax. And as we're talking about an accidental males club men's club, uh it is ninety nine percent men. You have a few ladies <laughs> coming, but you know you know, the ladies don't enjoy the smoke as much as we do. In fact, we have uh, <coughs> neighbors who like to talk about that. But the point is, <laughs> <laughs> we sit there and we talk. And just yesterday, this happened. I had a young man who was a Wheaton College student who was going to COD. And now he was uh, he's, he's going to go back to Wheaton. And he was talking about his personal things and issues. But he had written a hymn. And I said, well, that's cool, man. Uh can you share it with me? He says, yeah, listen to this. And I'm listening to it. And then we sing, he says, my favorite hymn, he says, the Old hundredth." I said, praise God from whom all blessings flow. We're sitting in a cigar lounge yeah. singing this, just me and him. And one of the guys <laughs> got up and sort of walked away. But no one else did. It's like, <laughs> he didn't want to hear it. But it's just, we're having fun. Well, no one can argue with you having joy. And no one can argue with you having faith. Mm-hmm. They will argue with you if you get religious. Mm-hmm. They will argue with you to bring out doctrines because there's lots of different, you know, it's mental processing of the great spiritual truth. Right. But that's what it works out to be. It's like, I just keep meeting these guys yeah. and the Lord sends them to me. Is this, is this how you came to Christ? Is this a lot
3: of times what we do is what is how we were reached? Is this kind mm-hmm. of the same kind of setting you were reached in?
4: No, it wasn't. In fact, I, I didn't smoke cigars before two years ago. <laughs> uh, the irony is I didn't smoke a pipe until six years ago. No. How I came to Christ, I was um, I was briefly married. Mm. I was married. I married someone who wasn't a Christian at all, and I wasn't following Christ. And it lasted a year. Mm. And uh, I had sort of a Jerry Springer divorce, which I will not go into the details, but <laughs> let's just say I know the liberal side of the equation. We'll say it like that. <laughs> I know it very well. And I went to a church in Memphis called Second Presbyterian Church. It's an evangelical Presbyterian church. And I walked in, and they were preaching grace mm. and the Bible like it was true. And I'm sorry to say this, but some of my denomination don't treat it that way. <laughs> and uh, I came to Christ in a showdown with Christ. I told a young lady, uh, boy, I don't know how frank I can be here. Be as, fr- as frank as you want. Uh, we're not going to sleep together anymore. Mm. I want you... Uh, I want you to know. I want to keep the relationship. I told her, but uh, I, I don't. We're not going to do that anymore. I was getting convicted of sin. I was disobeying God, and I didn't want to disobey God anymore. My life had crashed, and I was not wanting to do that anymore. Right. She got up and walked out and slammed the door behind her. Wow. And I was like, "What? That's I not the, the reaction you were I, looking for." I was thinking you were like, "Hey, that's cool. Thank you. Right. Respect. Love. Right." I went into my bedroom, and I gave God the right act. And I cannot do it here on the microphone, but, man, I was yelling to the top of my lungs. Mm. And anyway, the end of the story is Jesus spoke to me, and I fell on my knees, and I said, You're Lord. So that was the end of that, and that's when I became a disciple of Christ. No kidding. Mm, That's
3: powerful. Well, you're listening to our time here with Reverend Justice Carmen, he is a pastor at large, and we're excited you're going to stay here with us for a second segment. We love when people come in with us and just kind of sit in and we can hear their story and unpack a little bit more of their passion. So hopefully you stay with us as we continue with the Reverend Justice Carmen here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, or you could text us at 68683, type in CG, and then your comment, your question, joke, whatever. It's for Fool's, so, you know, might as well give us whatever you want. <laughs> we'll go with whatever you we want. We are wide open.
2: We're wide, wide open, open for suggestions. suggestions.
3: Well, we continue to be joined in studio by the Reverend Justice Carmen. Uh, Who is
2: not a joke. He is not. He's, He's right.
3: actually here. Uh, <laughs> he is a pastor at large serving communities at Brookdale, Glen Ellen, and West Chicago Terrace. Uh, amongst other things in the first segment we talked about what it means to be a pastor at large. I'm curious uh if a church were to approach you, a kind of a formal church, a, a church with a building and a program and all that stuff and said, "Hey, we want you to be the pastor." Is that something you want to do or are you passionate about being a pastor at large and not really being held down in that way?
4: I boy, what a great question. <laughs> uh I think I would I would definitely consider it highly. Uh, first of all, I'd say Thank you for the honor. Mm-hmm. What an honor. You you want to listen to me week after week talk yeah. about Jesus? Mm-hmm. Well, I can talk. That's okay. <laughs> you want to listen to you week after week complain and kvetch about things you don't like, about what the Lord's trying to do in your life? Oh, right. no, I don't want that job. Right. So the payment for being able to speak about Jesus is having to listen to people complain that they don't think God's <laughs> doing them good enough. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the way I see it. I really, really look. Look, guys. I have seen so much evil in my life. Mm. I've had my face beaten in with a man cross, with a cross tattooed on that fist by a family member. Mm. I have, and I was raised in faith. And uh, I understand that. So I think that God's called me to the people who are afraid to go to church, mm. don't feel they can go to church. And I've been wounded or it's over. You know, it's, I, I find myself with my name also almost being last call. I believe God gives us a lot of grace, all of us, then mercy, then justice. I believe that's the process that we see in Scripture, grace, mercy, then justice. So with my namesake that the Lord gave me, I sort of suspect sometimes I'm the last call. Mm. The average age I speak to at Brookdale Glen Ellen is 87. That's the average age. Uh, West Chicago Terrace. They're people who are long term institutionalized for mental emotional problems wow. but they need the gospel uh jail you go into jail when I did that you know you're you're lost your job and everything, and you're going to be there uh you're probably going to be divorced too mm. so I tend to catch a lot of people uh that are very wounded, but I would think that would prep me for other ministries, so I can only say. Eh, if I had a wife and kids, yeah. you bet I'd say yes. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, we got to have a church home and you're going to be family. You know, I would. I would say yes to that. Mm. So, since I am a knight, as we said <laughs> earlier in the other segment, you know, I get to jump around a bit. You know, that's what I'm called to do right now, anyway, right now. So, you, okay, so you mentioned some of the obvious freedoms
2: of being a pastor at large. Right. I think there there are some that are obvious in, in, you know, past, you know, Brian and I are both pastors. Um, and there's some there's some headaches with the building and with oh, repairs, yeah. and there's also some benefit too. I'm not, I'm not knocking it at all. Oh, right. I'm curious what what are some of the obstacles that might surprise someone listening to being a pastor at large? There's the there's the obvious freedoms, right? Okay. And you get you know you have access to people that maybe otherwise right. you wouldn't. What are some obstacles that you found? That are like oh, I don't think I saw that one coming, or that that surprised you uh, as an obstacle?
4: Um, the lack of uh, community support. Hmm. You are, are constantly going to people who need help, not people who can help you. Uh, but still, ironically, just because you show up and help people, they always say, "Hey, you help me. Um, I'll give you a free haircut." This happened yesterday. I said, "You help me with my car tire. Let me give you a free haircut. Hmm. You help me with this. Let me do this for you." Okay, so it's it's radical in that sense too. You're you're just helping people, and people are blessing you with kindnesses. Uh, my landlady lets me stay there, uh, not because she really likes me. I think uh, no, she loves me a lot. Okay. <laughs> but 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 uh, she says. Uh, you're going to mow the lawn? You're going to take care of this? He says, yes, ma'am, I am, and right. I'll take care of this. Right. And uh, so I, you basically are always on call to serve, but you're, you don't have as much agenda as you think. So it, I, I don't know. I would have to say it like this. How much would you enjoy being a salesperson who earned everything on commission mm. versus someone who was sitting in an office Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, and those are the difference in the personalities. You right. know, one's really, you know, a little volatile. Yeah. But you also know it's gonna. You're gonna be active. Right. Another one's like stable, but can be boring. You know. But you may like that, especially if you've got other chaos in your life. You know, my kids are in school. I'm doing this. Yeah. Right. I thank God I got a job I can just go to and perform yep. at this level. So I believe uh, that without as po- the Apostle Paul said this. You know, uh, those who are unmarried, I wish they could be as I are, but if you're married, a man must please his wife, you know, and all these great factors. It's just the wisdom. We're in this world. We're in this world temporarily. I think the best thing a pastor ever said about being married was, she is my wife for a season, my sister for eternity. Mm -hmm. And then also a elderly lady who had never married and raised the elders in her church, they asked her. Uh, did it bother you? She says, I did at first to not be married until I read this verse. For those who love the Lord, he withholds no good thing. Yeah, And I realized that for me, it must not be a good thing. So I believe with my personality, my style, it's, good, it's a good fit. Yeah.
3: If that makes any sense to anyone out there. Yeah, absolutely. So, so keeping your imagery of commission going along, like uh, how <laughs> do you make money?
4: Oh, I make money by working at a cigar lounge in Wheaton, Illinois. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Which you know that every church member thinks is a wonderful idea. (laughs) Uh, And uh, and let me just say very quickly to any listener out there, Charles Spurgeon smokes cigars, and we sell cigars. We do not sell cigarettes, vape, or anything like that. Mm. And these are puffy things. And, of course, there is a health risk like eating cheesecake with double (laughs) chocolate on it.
2: Now now I'm just hungry.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) no one argues with that. But... Uh, What happens there also is I have a lot of men I minister to. Uh, About half, I'm going to say about half the men who come to the door, maybe less, a quarter, but I've met several, let's put it that way, are AA. Hmm. They can't drink anymore. They cannot. One guy I love a lot, too. He was a sheriff. He's a great guy. He goes, uh, and the guys were bringing bottles and said, oh, you want something to drink? He says, no, I can't. Break out in handcuffs. (laughs) And you go, wow. And he says, but he'll sit there and smoke a cigar and, and be wise. And the scripture says anything that causes you to sin, you need to cut it off. Mm-hmm. And so some of the guys are going to cigars because it's better than what they used to do. Right. So I work there.
2: Good. <laughs> okay. So, so we know that uh, for a lot of people, and we didn't realize this when we started this radio show, that for a lot of people, radio actually serves in a similar way to the cigar lounge, a place yes. that people... Maybe they're interested in Jesus, but I'm not ready to drive to a building. I'm not ready to sign on any dotted line anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand so, that. So it's a really interesting component to this particular show, and you seem so attuned to sort of that that skeptic, that person who maybe yeah. feels they're too far gone. Mm-hmm. Could you just take a minute or two and just like speak to that particular demographic, someone who's feeling like the bottom dropped out, or they don't have any value, or they don't know who they are. Okay. Uh, yeah, just, just, just be a little
4: pastoral in this moment. I came to Christ with $30,000 of unsecured debt and divorced. My bisexual wife left with my transsexual friend. Well, I am now an ordained minister serving Jesus Christ because he saved my life from the rancid foolishness of it. If you're listening right now, I'm going to tell you this frankly. Jesus Christ loves you fiercely. I don't care if you're in your car, I don't care if you're in your bathroom, I don't care if you're in your bedroom like I was, you call on Jesus and he'll come and he'll help you. My landlady's son was on heroin and was in jail left and right, and so she called on Jesus and got saved. And she got the joy of the Lord, not the religion of the Lord, the joy of the Lord. Mm. There's something wonderful knowing that you have peace with God and his grace flows upon you and helps you in your time of need. Mm. So I would say to anyone out there, don't worry about getting it right. Just get to Jesus, and you'll find he's really loving and very, very kind. That is good news.
3: That is really good. And the way you started that, it sounded like a Christian uh,
4: country song. (laughs) 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 My wife don't love me with my best friend who's now a boy.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I heard that. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I'll get the guitar. Anyway, Justice, I, hopefully this won't be the last time. It's been a real pleasure having you in studio. Thank you. Again, we've been talking to the Reverend Justice Carmen. He's a pastor-at-large serving the communities at Brookdale in Glen Ellen and West Chicago Terrace. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, gentlemen. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on <clears> the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. If there's one thing I've missed while being away for a week it's it's the end of the show the kicker time the
2: That's the one thing you've missed I missed you guys
1: no, no, I missed
3: I, I won't take it personally no, my I goodness did. Uh, this is The Common Good, and we always <laughs> like to end every show with just some internet hilarity, as we like to call it. Just funny stuff. I think we it was internet it.
2: insanity because they both start with eyes. And
3: I think we're still giving our disclaimer that the way we do this now is neither you nor I have seen these. These are sight unseen. I'm not going to stop giving the disclaimer. So our producer Josh or Keith, uh, you go at them if you find any of these inappropriate or if you uh, or just don't think they're funny. Their address is...
2: I'm just kidding. Exactly.
3: You can text us at 68683, uh, type in CG, and then your comment. You could just write, hey, Josh and Keith, that wasn't funny. You can
2: go with that. All right, you're going first. Go for it. All right, flipping it over. Here we go. Florida, obviously. Uh, uh, a woman kept calling 911 to report boyfriend was, quote, not being nice to her. <laughs> <laughs> Meet Marianne Parrish. The Florida woman, 40, was arrested early yesterday after repeatedly calling 911. Oh, gosh. To report that her boyfriend was not being nice to her, according to a criminal complaint. Cops say that Parish dialed the emergency response number six times over a four-hour period ending Monday around one thirty a.m. Uh, a sheriff's deputy responded to one of Parrish's 911 calls, witnessed her again on the phone with 911 while on the scene. Pictured above, which you can't see, <laughs> Paris was charged with using the 911 system for purposes other than an emergency, emergency. She's being held in the county jail in lieu of $150 on misdemeanor charge. Unfortunate.
4: They're a fantastic couple. I love them.
3: (laughs) South Carolina drunk driver sprayed Axe in his mouth to mask the smell of alcohol. Jeez Louise. You need to write Joshua Keith
2: about this. (laughs) Yeah. A man
3: charged with drunken driving in South Carolina was spraying Axe body spray in his mouth when deputies approached in an apparent attempt to mask the odor of alcohol. Deputies pulled over a vehicle on Interstate 85 on Saturday night. After the driver passed a deputy at a high rate of speed, swerving into another lane of traffic, the driver was spraying Axe body spray in his mouth when the deputy approached to cover the smell of alcohol on his breath. There was a 12-pack of beer on the passenger floorboard, Smart. and 11 of the 12 beers were open. Ten of the beers were nearly empty. That is a bad thing. Don't do that.
5: <laughs> I heard alcohol makes
3: you stupid. No, I'm... doesn't. <laughs> no, i <I'm doesn't. laughs>
2: <laughs> it does later say 0. 0.15 blood alcohol content, nearly twice the legal limit. Yep. So uh, just an all-around not, not yep. good idea. Don't do it. New Jersey, this one's for you, yes. sir. Yes! <laughs> I wouldn't say yes just I yet. Mean, I'm owning it. <laughs> South Jersey man defrauds U.S. Postal Service, $1.5 million in <laughs> posted. Yes, he did. A New Jersey man. Why are you so excited for this guy? I'm North Jersey. South Jersey's like a <laughs> different state. <laughs> so you want this guy to yeah, get slammed. idea I do. All right. I do. A New Jersey man admitted Monday to defrauding the U.S. Postal Services out of one point five million dollars in postage. Stephen, with the last name I can't pronounce, forty-six of Camden County, pleaded guilty. pronouncing it. I don't want to. Pleaded guilty <laughs> to one to one county of mail fraud in federal court in Camden, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. I don't I don't understand what the fraud is though. He he pleaded guilty. Oh, he died. No, no, a different guy dies later. Nope, see, that's what I get for skimming. (laughs) Sight unseen. Defrauded and posted while billing his clients as if the posts had been paid. This is a real nerdy crime, man. (laughs) He faces a maximum of 20 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. He agreed to pay or to replay, replay, I think that's a typo, the full amount of the loss, more than $1.5 million, as a part of his plea agreement. My goodness.
0: When you control the mail, you control... Information.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's good. You, you struggled reading that one. That was tough I one. struggled all over it. Uh, thanks, thanks for uh, highlighting Going that, Brian. Going
3: back to Florida. Florida man calls, Florida 911 again. Florida man calls 911 with elaborate story of robbery to get out of work. Oh. A Florida man has been arrested after he reportedly called 911 and claimed he was robbed. All so that he could get out of going to work for the day. Brian Anderson (laughs) of Dundee called 911 to report an armed robbery near the intersection of Highway 27 and Lincoln Avenue. He told 911 dispatchers that two unknown suspects carrying a gun stole money, his necklace, and his phone from him. He went on to say the suspects threw his phone on the ground and proceeded to jump into a black Ford Crown Victoria and drove away. Deputies quickly responded with Air and K-9 when they arrived on the scene. They quickly figured out the robbery never actually happened, and Anderson confessed that he made up the story. He told them he didn't want to show up for his 11, a- 11 a.m. shift at Hardee's where he works. On the bright side, he didn't have to go to his 11 a.m. shift at the restaurant, the sheriff said, because he had been arrested.
4: Oh, oh work. This is Homer Simpson. I won't be coming
2: in
1: tomorrow. Religious holiday. The uh, feast of... Maximum occupancy. Pretty slack. <laughs> <It tastes>
2: like- <laughs> right, nice. last one. New York man takes Little Debbie truck for joyride but eats nothing. An upstate man allegedly swiped a Little Debbie delivery truck but left all the snack cakes inside untouched, police say. The 38-year-old man told Elmira police he swiped the truck to visit his family and friends.
1: Believe it or not, Twinkies have an expiration date. Someday very soon, life's little Twinkie gauge is going to go...
2: how would you not eat any of the little debbie though i mean willpower man willpower Willpower.
3: i don't have the willpower to leave the truck (laughs) but i have the willpower hey man it's good to be back it's fun it's fun to laugh with you again and we're excited that you joined us today for ian simpkins my name is brian Fromm. you've been listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your
1: life